This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood, and we have made it, folks. This is a milestone episode for the world of UX. This is episode number 100. So uh, thank you, everybody who is joining me on today, and welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. As promised, I'm going to do something a bit different on today. What I'd like to do is, is pay homage to those who have led the way when it comes to user experience, to the discipline at large, those who have contributed a lot, those who have given us things to shoot for, those who have laid foundations for us to to use them as a jumping point to learn what they've presented, to build on the things that they presented to us, and to take the discipline further. Uh, Everybody, to my knowledge, that is that I'm going to list and I want to present here today is still with us, but I want to give them their flowers while they are around. I want to recognize them. And most importantly, I have said this on other episodes. I've talked about how that as the discipline of user experience has continued to expand and, and evolve and more and more people are getting involved, I find it really, really interesting and I find it shocking Uh, And I do think that it is a problem for us in the discipline when people do not remember those who have gone on before us. In every other discipline, people who have paved the way, pioneers, people who have come up with things that practices and done things that are uh, uh, revolutionary, things that, that open everyone's eyes, prove certain points, provided heuristics within every different discipline that everyone else needed to adhere to and to, to digest so that they could grow and be better in the discipline. Other disciplines recognize these people and build on it. Today, in user experience, a lot of people who are up and coming in UX don't know a lot about the pioneers of the discipline, which will detrimentally impact not only those individuals, but it detrimentally impacts the discipline as a whole because people need to know UX history. They need to know where we've come from. They need to know what we have done in the past. They need to know how work was done. They need to know how titles have have come about over the years. Just a lot of fantastic things to know And it's really, we do the pioneers a disservice when people come along in the discipline and don't know who folks are. And I'm going to mention some people that even people who've been in the, in the discipline of a truth for the last four or five years won't recognize some of the names that I'm about to mention. So this is not to condemn anyone. Of course, as I have been stating a lot lately, it's simply meant to shine the light on these people. If I mention someone that you don't know, You can find their talks on YouTube in many, if not all instances, 
There are books that are available. Some of them are older, but don't forget, good UX content has a long shelf life. So because good UX content has a long shelf life, you can read a book that was written in 2001. You can look at something that was done in 2003, even though it's 2022, and you can actually incorporate it into the work that you do and it will make you better. It will make you sharper. It will bring value to your team, to your users, to the business at large. And so I highly recommend and encourage people to make sure that that you do this. There was a discussion recently I'm reminded about on LinkedIn where someone was saying, you know, as we go forward in UX, what do you recommend that we do? Which way should we approach the work? I mean, one person says we should do this. Another person says we should do that. What do you say we should do? And and it really, it was funny that the person was asking the question as if this is a point of confusion. It's not really a point of confusion. If we will, and many of us have been prescribing things like what I'm about to say, if you approach UX, recognize what it truly is, define it accurately and properly. Make sure that you learn about how UX has has come about and evolved over the years. Look at how it's being presented today, and which many times, quite frankly, is actually erroneous and what is beginning a lot of the so-called ambiguity and confusion today in our circles. When you look back and you look at the way that user-centered design was done some years ago, that's still good. When you look at some of the things that we're going to present today, these things are still good. We don't need to to evolve how we're doing the work as much as we need to understand how the work was done. Continue to do that. And if you need to tweak something along the way for the purposes of how things are going at your particular company or on your particular team, uh, then you know, do it if if you, if you think that it's really going to 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 help you out. Uh, but I contend that a lot of the processes that were done twenty years ago are actually the same exact processes that we follow today. People just put a different name on it. Frankly, said that they were defining something or introducing something new. They didn't introduce anything new, folks. All every process that we've heard over the last 20 some odd years is, is basically identical with the exception of who the players are along certain steps. Outside of that, there's no real difference. So uh, just a little digression here. But at any rate, let's get into this homage to UX pioneers. And, and, and I want to first and foremost, most folks know about Jacob Nielsen, so I'm just mentioning him. Don Norman, we know who Don Norman is. If you don't know who these people are, I'm about to mention, look them up. You know who Peter Morville and Louis Roosevelt are. Many of you, not all, but many will know who Richard Saul Worman is. And these are the people who were like at ground zero when you think about it. Peter Morville and Roosevelt wrote the the Polar Bear book. Richard Saul Werman was the first person to talk about information architecture in mass all the way back in the mid seventies. And it's funny, other people got the credit for driving knowledge of information architecture, but he was really the, the pioneer and the person who coined the phrase and folks need to know that. So if you don't know Nielsen, Norman, you should, uh, those, if you don't know these other people, you should definitely know them. 
Morville, Roosevelt, and Werman, if you don't know them, look them up. Learn about them. Look up their talks. Look at their different books. These people have written a ton of books, it seems like. A lot of different thoughts. You're not going to be able to get them all on Kindle. You have to get some of those books in hard copy form, which a lot of people tend to prefer anyway. But the the, the what I'm trying to get at here is that these people were critically foundational. Are they part of the UX pioneer landscape? Absolutely. But because they are more common, I'm leaving them off of my list today. And I want to list people that folks are not necessarily aware of. They might be aware of them to a degree. Some of these names might be familiar to some of you. I, I'd venture to say that there are going to be some people are going to recognize every name that I mentioned. But please know and understand, if, if you're like me and you talk to people all over the world and you talk to people all the time, you know that these, these names are not common. They never come up and 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 there will also be these people and you see these people on social media we see them out and about who don't bother to to understand who they're talking to or who they're listening to and they make assumptions and then they talk as if they know if 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 a person has only been around UX for 2 months or 3 months they're not going to know these things that's just so i think a lot of us need to just be honest about that especially the people who are who have only been around for one or two months. Uh, and I come across a lot of people like this who are not honest about the fact that they just got into UX. It's okay. If you don't know something, that's okay. We all had to learn. We all had to come from somewhere. But what we didn't do 20 years ago was parade around as if we were um, seasoned. Uh, that's something that's very common today. So again, another aside, just throwing that in there. But at any rate, this show is about homage. Let's give the homage. There's going to be names. There's going to be the names of the works that these people have done and a few tidbits. I just want to get the names out there, and I want to express my gratitude for how each one of these people impacted me. I want to express my gratitude because this show is on the air because of these people, and including the ones that I just mentioned, all of these people have had impact on me. And if they haven't impacted you yet, I invite you, seek them out, look up their works, look up their talks, look up their books, and dive in. And you will find that there is a wealth of information to be had. And and I guarantee you also, the more you digest the thing that these people bring to the table, we, we talk a lot about filters and developing a filter, You will develop a filter, and a lot of the things that folks find attractive today in UX, when you digest folks from these people or things from these folks, you are not going to be as eager or you simply are not going to be eager to partake of these other things out here, and and I'll even explain uh, from time to time here why. But here we go. Number one on the list today and there's no particular order here. And I'm going to give you a baker's dozen today of folks. So there'll be 13 folks that I want to call out and give direct homage to. Person number one, Nathan Shetroth. I have mentioned him before, and I am mentioning him today. He is critical on my list because his book was one of the first that I purchased. 
in my UX journey. He's the author of a book called Experience Design One. And this book was written in 2001. He's written a few books since then. But in particular, Experience Design was groundbreaking and it was just downright visionary because he didn't call it user experience. That, that wasn't even a common acronym or phrase yet. He coined the phrase experience design. You did not see this phrase mentioned anywhere. And that book was said to be the first book that was written about experience design. And if you look at this book, you can actually buy a PDF of this book for $10 now off of a site that's connected to him. Because uh, I have the hard copy. I have the hard copy right here uh, in front of me. But I want to get the electronic version because I like having my library electronically. That way I can get at it any time I want. But at any rate, he covered topics in this book such as consistency, cognitive models, nonlinear navigation, and semiotics. He uses the term metaphors in the book, but I know that that's referring to semiotics. You didn't see anybody talking about things like this. Uh, not only then, you don't see people talking about some of these things now, at least not the way that he did and not holistically. He he covers so many topics in this book. And when you consider the fact that every person you partake of, it's like a, a puzzle piece that it, it just adds to who you are. When you partake of it, the things that they offer, they become a part of you when you digest them and you put them into practice and you you understand them and they become a part of how you operate. It's just, we're talking absolute treasure here, folks. And Nathan Shedroth's book is fantastic. So shout out number one, Nathan Shedroth. Shout out number two, and this person is going to be familiar to many, but some are not familiar with him either. Shout out number two goes to Jesse James Garrett, known as many or too many as JJG. They just shorten, give his, him some acronym, an acronym there for his, for his name. He's the author of the book, The Elements of User Experience. That book was published in 2002. And it, within that book, he had an illustration that is downright famous. And a lot of people use it. I use it as a design process for many years. And truth be told, I still do. No matter what process is being used where I work, I still use the five planes to do my work, which enabled me to be consistent no matter where I've been and no matter how people were approaching the work. Just fantastic. He created the five planes. And and he also, in addition, he co-founded the first U.S. consultancy, Adaptive Path. His book is an absolute must-read. If you... Still to this day, you find yourself confused about what user experience is. Do you know anybody else that expresses or says that they are confused and they need more understanding about user experience? One of the reasons people are confused is because they try to find answers in today's resources. And while it is available back then, I mean, I've said this before and I say it again, prior to 2011, you didn't find misinformation in the world of UX. Today, it's everywhere, <laughs> Every, everywhere you look, whether it's YouTube, Medium, books, it, it doesn't matter. Misinformation is everywhere. You did, that wasn't the case before. And this book was written again in 2002, and it is just fantastic. And it gives a very broad, thorough, a complete understanding of what user experience is all about. It's a very 
easy read, and it's it's just absolutely fantastic. Something else I want to give JJG a shout out for. I, I didn't know this, and some of us were talking about this recently, and I just discovered he offers leadership training. Wow. How how frequently do you see that? If a person is a leader and they're trying to get better at being a leader in design spaces, he offers training in that arena. His his current docket is full, uh, but you can go to his website and you can sign up to be notified. But that is just fantastic to have a heart to try to help people become better at what they do. And from someone who has put himself out there for the good of the discipline is just phenomenal. So uh, definitely Jesse James Garrett, one of the people that definitely deserves a shout out today and needed to be separate from those other earlier pioneers. Uh, and again, this is this list is not in any particular order. Uh, I'm just listening the way that it just came to me. This is just the way that I'm doing it today. But absolutely love what he has done for the discipline, what he has meant to the discipline. And I encourage anybody out there to tap in as well. Shout out number three, Susan Weinshank. Uh, this person who is known for her input about psychology and how it applies to the work of user experience, to the discipline. Uh, she is an author. She provides learning resources at her website, theteamw.com. Check out her certifications and courses available there. I recommend those. She has written books, 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About People, How to Get People to Do Stuff, Master the Art and Science of Persuasion and Motivation. She wrote 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About People, Neuro Web Design, What Makes Them Click, and yet another book, I Love You, Now Read This Book. It's all about human decision-making and behavioral economics, something that a, a topic that has come up in more recent years that is critical to understand in order to excel in user experience. Susan Weinshank is an absolute gem. Uh, if you don't know who she is, then make sure that you tap in. And something else I wanted to call out in thinking about Susan Weinshank today is that there are people that are writing books about psychology in association with user experience today. And these people are not psychologists. And I, all I'm going to say is, uh, if you want to learn about something the right way, learn it from someone who's an expert in that arena. You don't want to learn it from people that are dabbling. <laughs> you don't want to learn it from people who, I mean, frankly, plagiarism is popular today in UX. You don't want to learn it from somebody who's, who's getting it second, third, and fourth hand so to speak. Susan Weinshank is an expert when it comes to psychology. She's an expert when it comes to psychology and UX. So if you want to really understand, because I see people gushing about certain books and works and talks and things like that, and the people that they gush about are not experts when it comes to psychology. Those same people who gush about other folks don't even know who Susan Weinshank is and or when introduced have no real interest in looking at what she's presenting. That's a telltale sign that something is amiss. So if you really want to understand psychology, really, really, really want to understand how it impacts us and how it can impact you and make you better at what you do with regard to 
operating in the user experience profession, this is the one of the people that you should want to listen to. You should want to hear what Susan Weinshank has to say. So tap in. Number four, and some people are going to think that this person should have been mentioned with some of the earlier people, that, that first foundational group, uh, but I separated him because I think that what he has contributed is on a different level. He has given insights about operating in user experience and interaction design and things of that nature in a way that, in my, in my opinion, some of the other people just don't. They have great things to say. Of course they do. But his were so hands-on. His, his input was so, it was enlightening on a different level. And that person, for shout-out number four, is none other than Alan Cooper. Alan Cooper was known as the father of Visual Basic. He was the first person to introduce personas to UX work. He is the author of the About Face series of books, and there are three of them. And he's also the author of one of my absolute favorite books. And it's interesting when you look at this book because it it, it, it talks about UX from a very broad perspective. I, I talk all the time about how doing UX is about doing more than just the work. It, it has to do with building relationships, managing relationships. It has to do with navigating politics. And there are so many things that go on in UX that have nothing to do with our work to the extent that if you know how to do the work but don't know how to do these things, you still fall short. So you have to learn it. And when you read a book like The Inmates Are Running the Asylum by Alan Cooper, it will change your perspective. It will help you to become aware of things that for many have gone under the radar and leave folks in a compromised position and not really able to navigate and do the things that they need to do in order to thrive uh, in UX today. So Alan Cooper is definitely, if you have not seen his works before, please tap in. Please look up his, his talks on YouTube. He has some great things to say and he's very impactful and he's had a tremendous amount of impact on me. So shout out to Alan Cooper. Shout out number five goes to someone who is going to be uh, not recognized, I don't think, by many people. Shout out number five goes to Jeffrey Zeldman. And he is the author of the book Designing with Web Standards, which I believe is now in its third edition. That book was originally published in 2003. He co-founded the Web Standards Project in 1998. And this was a, a basically a group of web designers and developers that together, they worked together to end what was referred to as the browser wars. And, and, and this was how uh, Microsoft, the, the IE work that was going on back then, and some of you will remember Netscape, it, the things that were done by the Web Standards Project helped to impact design in a way so that people's, their designs would work across browsers. The standards that came out of it were really, really helpful. Zeldman was a visionary to help accomplish that. Uh, in addition to that, he is behind what some of you are familiar with, a list apart or a book apart. These are all his babies. These are things that, that he was one of the, the visionaries for. A list apart for a long time has been a site that those of us that were working in UX would go to 
on a regular basis to read articles, to, to learn things, to help us be better at our craft. And so he was behind it. He was there again. He's been involved since UX got off the ground running and people have no idea who he is. Even when they go to his website, they still don't know who Jeffrey Zeltman is. This is a name. Look him up. I'm sure he's got talks out there. Look up his talks. Make sure you understand who Jeffrey Zeltman is and let him impact your life accordingly. Number six, shout out number six goes to Christina Watke, and she is the author of Information Architecture, Blueprints for the Web. This is also one of the first books. It wasn't just the Polar Bear book. Polar Bear book came out in 98, and that that's uh, um, Morville and, and Rosenfeld. 98, everybody, well, a lot of people know who, what the Polar Bear book is. Uh, has been published over and over, over the, uh, over the years. We've got some updated versions of that book. By all means, have that book in your in your arsenal. But there are other information architecture books out there, and Christina Wacke wrote one of them. Um, that was a fantastic book, published in 2002. She's also the author of a book some of you might be familiar with, 101 Theses on Design. This was published just a few years ago. Another phenomenal book that you can just immerse yourself in it and it just sharpens you and gives you some different perspectives and helps you to to tackle your work and and to strategize and again get better at what you do and 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 establish and broaden your your mindset in conjunction with the work that's being done again so we can be better i I keep repeating that but that's what that's what we're supposed to be about that's why you even bother listening to this podcast at least i i hope so uh but her book very easy read it's very down to earth. It's very basic, but it provides a holistic and I think at the time a visionary view of what information architecture was about because a lot of people today, if they do talk about information architecture and it does get left out a lot, it doesn't get the coverage that it should. This book provides a very holistic view of information architecture. And she was one of the first that I remember spends time talking about accessibility. It's funny, accessibility over the years has been growing in momentum, but it wasn't very common to see somebody talk about accessibility in their book. Christina Wacke talked about different aspects of accessibility. She talked about all the things you should talk about when you're talking about information architecture, the findability, the search factors, things of that nature. And it just really was a fantastic work that I love when you come across a book that's easy to read. I love when you come across a book that's easy to just sit down and digest and then put things to practice quickly. For those of you not familiar with her work, I think you'll find her book, like Steve Krug, Don't Make Me Think, Easy Read. He's not on this list because he came along later, and I'm I'm trying to focus on people that came along earlier in in UX's life cycle, if you will. So that's why I didn't mention him, but I, I love the readability of his book and her book has the same kind of readability. So uh, highly recommended both of her books, the Information Architecture book, which is in its second edition. Now, it was published, if my memory serves me correctly, 2009. I wanna say there was another issue after that, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's still a great read and it's still viable information that anyone seeking to excel in information architecture 
it, you, you do yourself well to add that to your library. Shout out number seven, and someone will think that this person should have been included early on because he was a contemporary of Jacob Nielsen and Don Norman, but I'm including him in this list because of his off-overlooked interaction design principles that are published on the internet, none other than Bruce Tognazzini. He gets shout out number seven. Now, Bruce Tognazzini, his interaction design principles some people take his classes still today with NNG. Last I saw, he was teaching that course. That, that was great. I actually stuck my head in there when I was there once because I just wanted to see him because he's just, I mean, he's, man, Bruce Tognazzini, man. They, he's called Tog for sure. People affectionately refer to him as Tog. The guy is fantastic. What I love about his interaction design principles is that I consider them to be heuristics. They are proven principles. They are best practices. They are common conventions. And if you use his interaction design principles to inform and to guide your work, that's something that you're going to benefit from. You don't want to operate without this set of principles in your toolbox either. So Bruce Tognazzini, definitely somebody who is overlooked, definitely somebody that a lot of folks don't know. People even take his class at NNG not knowing who he was or is. So if you're not familiar with Brute Tognazzini, that's T-O-G-N-A-Z-Z-I-N-I. If you're not familiar with him, uh, make sure that you uh, search him out on the web and look up his, his guidelines. Here's one that I don't think many people, people who've heard me talk about uh, information architecture before are going to recognize, shout out number eight. They're going to, uh, I mean, people are going to hear me say this name and go, what, who in the world is that? You can look up his book on Amazon. You are not likely to buy it. The last time I saw his book, which was published back in about 2002, 2003, um, it is out of print or appears to be out of print. It's not available in Kindle format. You can only buy it as a hard copy book. I am so happy that I bought this book. Um, it changed my life. And he's here because he was a visionary. He understood that the discipline of information architecture was going to evolve and that people who were IAs were going to have to start incorporating other aspects of interactive design into their work. And we were it, it was a matter of time before IAs were going to be doing other things. How right he was. Um, shout out number eight goes to Earl Morrow. M-O-R-R-O-U-G-H. He's the author of the book, Information Architecture, an Emerging 21st Century Profession. And in his book, he said, information architects must draw upon the expertise of multiple disciplines for the successful resolution of IA design problems. Just fantastic that he knew that things were going to change. And it was a matter of time, just a few years later, we started out, many of us, as information architects, and the next thing you know, we're doing research, we're doing content strategy, we're doing everything that is associated with the UX uh, catalog, if you will, the catalog of services, and, and he talked about it in the book on a, on a pretty regular basis, uh, but he just really helped to shape my mind about the work, even more so, I love Rosenfeld, I love Morville. But Earl Moreau actually impacted me more than anyone else 
when it came to the topic of information architecture. So, but a lot of people don't know who he is. Uh, his book, I, I did not mention the price. Last time I saw it, that book was selling for over $200. Um, if, uh, if I know what I knew today about him and did not have the book, I would pay the money because it's just a phenomenal thing to have in your toolbox. And now things he has written have helped to shape me and help make me what I am from a philosophical standpoint, as well as the way that I approach the discipline and how I look at information architecture. So I am very appreciative of what Earl Moreau did and encourage others to, to do and be the, the same today. Shout out number nine. And some people will be familiar with this name and some will not. This person was the author of a book called Persuasive Technology in 2003. He's an expert in human behavior. He's the founder of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University. None other than B.J. Fogg. And, and he is just fantastic. His, his teachings, his musings, his talks, his writings about understanding human behavior are an absolute must. This is another one of those people that if you want to understand human behavior, how it, how it plays into what we do as user experience professionals, if you want to be impacted from an expert perspective, Look up Susan Weinshank. Look up B.J. Falk. These are the kinds of people that specialize in such things. And really, really, it's just some dynamite stuff when you look at the things that they've written and the things they've produced. I, I highly recommend that people embrace B.J. Falk today. It's interesting. He made a statement. I want to share a couple things that I got from his writings. He said in one instance that behavior happens when motivation, ability, and a prompt come together at the same moment. And he refers to these things as, uh, actually he talked about the concept also in association with these as captology, which he describes as the area where computing technology and persuasion overlap. So when you take behavior change, attitude change, motivation, change in worldview and compliance, and you link that up with any type of engagement that a person is using when it comes to digital resources or computers, mobile phones, your laptops, whatever it might be, anything. It could be a kiosk, he says. When you look at the, the, the overlap between the two, it's important for us to understand the persuasion aspect that comes into play there and then make sure that we do it from an ethical standpoint. I'm throwing that in because that's really big today, especially with the prevalence of dark patterns. So understanding BJ Fogg, understanding his teachings are an absolute gold mine. So again, his book was written in 2003. It is available uh, electronically. You can buy it on, on Kindle. So just something for people to consider another one of the fantastic people Digest his book, not not upstarts that are that are writing some of these things today. And again, second and third, fourth hand when you can get it from the people who are the actual experts. So highly recommend that. Here's a name that I venture for shout out number 10. I venture that a very small percentage of people are going to know this name. Uh, this person is not with us anymore and actually forgot that when I made my statement earlier in the show this gentleman has passed away uh, but his work 
is it, it's still with us today. And you can study his writings because he wrote a book called Designing for People in 1955. It was updated twice. He had two other um, uh, subsequent editions of the book. This person got his start in the theater. <laughs> there was no computers, no mobile phones, none of the things that we see today. This person was doing user-centered design in theater productions to do things to ensure that people had an immersive experience when they came to the theater. He was all about user-centeredness. Started in the theater, went on to become an industrial designer. He was later responsible for designing the Bell Telephone. Some of you are not familiar with that, the one with the dial on it. <laughs> the Hoover Vacuum Cleaner, the Honeywell Thermostat, the Big Ben alarm clock, and many other things, including the design of a locomotive, folks. But here's the catch. All of these things were hardware. All of these things revolved around what we might refer to today or embodied things that we call ergonomics. But he wrote about process. He wrote about collaboration. He wrote about the way that the designer's mind is supposed to work. But again, he focused mostly on being user-centered. And where we talk about ergonomics, he came up with something that he referred to as anthropometrics. And anthropometry, according to works that are written on Mr. Henry Dreyfus, shout out number 10, is the study of human body measurements. And it's used to help scientists and anthropologists understand physical variations among humans, and it provides a baseline for human measurement. It, it's the type of thing that helps folks to understand or what we refer to today as human factors when it comes to design. He was a major player in that arena. But when you read his book, Designing for People, and I highly recommend it, uh, it is available on Kindle. And you pick that up and you look at how he went about doing his work. You look at the transition during his career. But most notably, look at how he said the designer's mind is supposed to work. And while he preceded what we now know as UX by several years, the work that he did is reflective of UX work. And so it's really, really critical that you digest, understand who he is and digest how he thought because how he thought can be implemented yet and still today. So to understand how Henry Dreyfus worked, look at the work that you do, look at the work that he did, look at how he approached things, and you will find that there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of, of learnings that can be made your own today, and you can just build on what Henry Dreyfus did. So again, shout out number 10 goes to Henry Dreyfus. Shout out number 11, and this is a name I don't really think, again, a scant few are going to get this one. Look him up if you're interested. Uh, he, uh, this person wrote the book, Sketching User Experiences, Getting the Design Right and the Right Design. Bill Buxton gets shout out number 11. And personally, I absolutely love how he takes time to identify the potential readers of the book. And he goes out to address, he understands that there are issues of confusion associated with design. So he addresses the people who can impact the design 
as well as the people that are doing the design work and talks about how to best put together user experiences. He has one chapter that focuses specifically on experience design, so broadening the look at design work versus interface design. And I think a lot of people will find that chapter to be very eye-opening. Now, this book was written in 2007, a little bit later than everybody else that I'm presenting here, but he was already starting to call out problems with titles among UXers. The same thing that's happening now, say with product design, the same thing that's happened when people started being called UX designers or UX architects instead of information architects. Well, guess what? This has happened like over and over and over again. And in particular, he was talking about how people were starting to be called experienced designers. <laughs> and that, yeah, that was a thing for a brief time. And it sort of went by the wayside. But these little battles about design uh, titles for, for designers, I should say, uh, these things keep coming and going. If we can settle down for a bit and, and just educate people the right way and get the right information out there, I think we'll finally stop bouncing around and, and, and getting on the flavor of the month from a UX title perspective. It's really awkward. It's not helping us. And we need to settle on some things and go in that direction. Uh, experience designer is not bad, but in general, it's it can be vague. And I personally like the fact that we keep user in our titles in many instances, uh, be, even though it is experience architecture, it is experience design, but there are so many people who are interested in removing the user from the process that for the time being, at least let's keep user in there so people will understand who it is that we're actually providing solutions for. Cause a lot of folks don't think the users matter. And, and that's a, uh, that, that's a crime. So let's make sure that we do something about that. Well, by the time I'm out of the, out of the picture, folks will have come up with something else, but let's, let's just try to keep things moving forward. That, that's all I'm going to say about that for, for now. I want to continue with my homage. I've got two more people to go. Tamara Atlin is number 12. I love Tamara's work. And part of the reason that she is here is because she sort of picked up the, the, the baton, if you will, from Alan Cooper, who led the way about personas. I love the fact Tamara did something that a lot of people don't. When they start to build on what other people have done, a lot of people these days, they don't mention the person that they're building, whose work they're building on. She made it a point to mention that he was the person who introduced personas to the work that we do. Then she reached out and she wrote a book about the persona life cycle. If you've never seen this book, it is absolutely phenomenal. She has impacted me tremendously. She talks about the popularity of personas, uh, and, but sought to help people understand how to create them properly through her book and how to overcome the challenges associated with getting adoption, buy-in, implementing, and then using personas in our design efforts. Because folks, everybody doesn't like personas. And a lot of people are fighting against personas. So she gives you not only insights on how to produce them, but how to navigate them and how to present them and how to evangelize for them so that you can keep any persona work that you're doing going forward. And you don't usually find folks who will take the time to do that. She is a, a, a wonder. She is great. 
If you haven't seen her book or bought her book about the persona design life cycle, by all means, please tap into it because you'll find it to be extremely helpful if you're doing any persona work today. So that's number 12. We wrap up today with the Baker's Dozen, as I mentioned. Here's a person that a lot of people, some people will recognize, I think. Some people will recognize this person, but many will not. And a lot of people who do recognize him don't consider him to be part of the UX conversation. And that would be incorrect. And all you have to do is go to YouTube and listen to some of his presentations and listen to him go through the information that's presented on the screen and heuristically break down what's good and what's not about that specific user experience to recognize how much of a UX person Edward Tuft is. Shout out number 13 goes to Edward Tuft, the author of Envisioning Information, Visual Explanations, The Visual Display of Quantitative Information, and many more books. Folks, Edward Tuft is an absolute gem, and a lot of people don't get exposed to him. I actually didn't get exposed to him until later in my career, but I recognize when he got started. I recognize when he started to impact the UX community. I was introduced to him in a course on information visualization. That's all we did in that course was focus on how to present data, how to present information for optimal digestion, optimal scanning, optimal just helping people to understand what they needed to see and do to navigate it and digest it so they could make decisions, so they could draw conclusions. He is an expert in how to visualize information. And again, for that reason, it is an absolute must. And again, not only does he teach people to present information visualization properly, but he has a YouTube channel and it's a hidden gem. There are several videos out there that if you take the time to go through them, you'll see that he has, as mentioned, a lot of UX insights. And you'll see, if you if you don't think he belongs, you go and listen to some of his, his presentations and then you tell me what you think. He is a tremendous help, has had impact on me, a great deal of impact on me for about the last eight, nine years or so since I was first introduced to him. So yeah, I highly recommend that folks partake of and and tap into what Edward Tuft has to offer. He is a hidden gem in the UX community. So these folks are the folks I wanted to pay homage to today. I consider these people to be UX pioneers. If you want to go above and beyond, if you want to thrive, if you want to excel, look at what they have to offer. Look at the works that they have done. Tap into to the resources that they provide and then go upward and onward, folks. These are the people that mean a lot to me, have impacted me a lot, and I'm sure they'll do the same for you. Folks, that is all the time that we have for today. So thanks for joining me on today uh, and joining us in episode number 100 of the World of UX. All right, let's get some applause out here. Episode number 100. And we are going to, we're going to have uh, our two-year anniversary 
in just another month or so and we'll be celebrating again then with some special episodes of the world of ux as we celebrate that anniversary but until next time this is the host of the world of ux darren hood signing off happy uxing everybody Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.